0: Welcome to the Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymiller.com. We got greatness by choice we got gravity by chance. All right, well, uh, welcome to another episode of the Epsom Father podcast. I'm really excited to uh, share with you our guest today. His name is Dr. Gary Salyer. And um, just a little bit about him. He is a transformational relationship mentor. Uh, for the last decade, Dr. Sawyer has been in private practice, offering singles and couples heart-centered transformation, so they can rewrite the rules of love for their brains and create a love that lasts. Uh, he's a national audience speaker, featured expert on various celebrity TV and radio shows, such as Hey House Radio, which for any personal development people, that's like you know major fan props there, uh, as well as Coast to Coast AM, and he's also the author of Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. Uh, of course, for more information, you can go to GarySalyer.com. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to have have Dr. Salyer today, um, not only because of, I think, his expertise and what he can uh, help those of us who grew up with an absent or distant father with, but he also has his own story that I'm sure we'll get into there that I think really helped informed. Um, his his brilliance and his groundbreaking uh, research and teaching in this area of uh, attachment theory that we'll get into. So um, with that, Dr. Salier, welcome welcome to the show. And I'd love to hear a little bit about you and, and your work and anything else that you'd like to start us off with.
1: Well, Rodney, thank you for having me. It's always a, a pleasure to be with you. We had such a great conversation a few weeks ago. So what would you like me to answer off the head?
0: Yeah, so I'd, I'd just love to hear, you know, tell us a little bit about your work now, uh, maybe about your book and why you wrote it.
1: Well, well, these days I look at myself as an attachment expert. i work with singles and couples, both of them pretty much about people. Uh, I help rewrite the rules of love on people's brains so that singles can stop picking the same Mr. and Ms. wrong, you know, and they can have a loving soulmate beside them at night rather than an empty pillow. And, and couples can get over that same recurring Groundhog Day argument <laughs> or distancing moves so they can have the love they deserve. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the book was, is a new take on what's called attachment theory. It's, um, that's the science of how our brain gets wired to love and be loved. And the short of it is that if, you know, all of us have an internal GPS that tells us we're loved, um, and we, but we have to feel welcomed with joy, Worthy and nourished, to have our needs met, cherished and protected means you get to be a me in a we that's supportive and got your back and empowered with choice, so you can create your own experience and you can have a say. You have a right to assert. If you have those four feelings, and they're really at the core of your being, and you know you can feel them, and you have a right to feel welcomed and and worthy and cherished and empowered, you'll probably pick someone pretty good. Uh, You'll create good relationships. But if you don't have those four feelings running, say you were given an early childhood experience, unwelcome, unworthy, or uncherished or disempowered, we tend to pick our partners and create relationships that mirror those early reference feelings. So the key in my work is to get people to their brains to feel safe with welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered because worthy people don't put up with takers. Empowering people don't put up with dominators, and that's really the short and swift of it. Returning people to their birthright, so they know they 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 can feel welcome in this world and in relationships. They are worthy to have the love they deserve.
0: That's really really cool. I'd love for you to repeat those four uh, pieces again. But um, you know, it's one of the reasons you can probably already hear why I was excited to have Dr. Sellier on the podcast because um, you know. When we're talking about, you know, how we are in relationship with others. And I, I think for many of us, the most important relationship we have is, is romantic relationship. Um, but I also think, you know, it's interesting because in my work, I'm often talking with leaders about leadership, but we can never really address leadership fully until we look at how they are in romantic relationship. Um, and so it's really neat, especially when I think about our listeners and you know, growing up with an absent or distant father. Um, for many of us, we can't help but internalize that there's some lack of worth uh or or certainly you don't have the experience of being cherished by your father, <laughs> to say the least right so what were the what were the four pieces again and and what do you see as the relationship like why those would matter for people who might have grown up with an absent or distant father
1: okay, well, what we know from I'll just go back to the beginning yeah, uh, there's this There is something called the strange situation, a classic experiment done in attachment theory. And what they found out was that by the time a child is one to one and a half years old, they have what's called an attachment style, or what I call a love style. And this style of loving and picking and creating will trap for the rest of their life, barring intervention, that early, a style. And there's either secure... And secure is these people are comfortable depending and being depended on. They they usually grow up to pick very loving, supportive partners and good marriages. Um, there's the avoidant. They didn't get a lot of attuned attention, so that so they're kind of checked out. They're they can become emotionally dismissive. They often don't want to commit. Their worst nightmare is would I depend or be depended upon. And then there's the anxious. They got some attention, didn't get it. Got it, didn't get it. Got it, didn't. Get it. And some part wants to lock that thing down, so they're anxious. Well, you know, they're the ones that grow up, and they go, "You didn't text me back in ten minutes. What's up? You still love me? You know, where were you last night? You know, why didn't you call me?" And so those three, and that's all up and running by one to one and a half. Well, ask what's what's up and running in a brain at that time. Prefrontal cortex isn't online. There's no identity. There's no, hi, I'm Rodney. There's no story. <laughs> there's no there, There's no belief. If you've heard that limiting beliefs are your, your problem, that's not it. Limiting beliefs come on at three to start explaining what I, these missing feelings. The only thing that's running is feelings. And so my research isolated, and of course the work I did with clients taught me that four core feelings When a child is welcomed in the world, so glad you were born, right? Welcomed with joy. Think about on a first date, there's gotta be welcome. It's the gateway to love. Worthy and nourished to reach out and have your needs met, that you feel worthy. You know you're gonna get an attuned response back and you deserve that. And then cherished and protected. The moment the child becomes a toddler, they're me. And then oh my God, I need a little backup. I need support. Where is the we? This is why children cry when you leave the room. They want to be a me in a we. And if we don't get that feeling of cherished and protected, we don't feel we have a right to be in a we. And then we get these distancing relationships. And then the last feeling is empowered with choice. Do I get to create my own experiences? Somebody get to create it for me. Do I get to have a right to assert and not only have a voice, but to have choice and choose what I want? If those and those are the four feelings given that to all secure children, time they're one to one and a half. We're opened worthy, cherished, and empowered. And the catch is that if you were given unwelcome or unworthy or, you know, uncherished or disempowered, your brain will use that as a reference to pick as well. So the key is to do that. So to tie it back to what you is to, the key is to restore those feelings. So you'll pick based on the good feelings rather than the bad feelings. Say you didn't have a father. And he's absent. If you're stuck in the middle of the Sahara, how welcome with joy do you feel? <laughs> Absence is like that. You know, uh, if you're having a good day by yourself, you could be having a good day by yourself, but you're not feeling exactly welcome with joy by anyone. So the first hit that gets taken care of is welcome with joy. You know, that's that's dismissed. And yeah, such if a good father, how day. worthy you gonna feel, right? right? <laughs>
0: It's such a good example, too. Like this idea, you know. As you were saying this, I was thinking about, you know, if you were born in a desert, um, that's all you would know, right? And I was thinking about, you know, when you talked about like um, being welcomed, being worthy, being cherished, being empowered. You know, one thing that I think I've been really passionate about with the podcast is is really shining light on on how these impacts of growing up with an absent and father show up and you know, even if you didn't have an absent or distant father, right? Like, um, you know, people are people and they become parents. And um, I, I always, I like to say, unless you had like, you know, Jesus and Mary or the Buddha or whatever figure that you highlight as the highest of the high, right? You probably are responding. You're probably developing that attachment theory and likely most of us not the healthiest way um i'm curious about your thoughts on that because like you know i think that a lot of us can get stuck with like well my parents were perfect it's just there's something wrong with me um and that's really one of my major goals in the podcast is to really illuminate it doesn't mean that your parents were wrong it just means that um there's an opportunity for us to learn the impacts um and evolve as, as we have as a society over thousands of years. And as we have much more to go.
1: Yeah. Well, with parents specifically, you know, all parents give what they were given. Right. And we know that parents, uh, with attachment theory, says, it's not about the perfect parent. It's the, they talk about the good enough parent, right? <laughs> They're good enough. Do they give you these feelings most time? No one's going to give them a hundred percent of the time, any more than spouses do. So the good enough parent is one that does a pretty good job, welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered, right? No one's going to get it perfect. Uh, And the key is, is sometimes we know that parents often, especially young moms, they did a study um, that, and they noticed that 70% of the time, young moms with newborn infants get it wrong what the baby actually needs and wants the first time. So we think of them as these intuitive wizards, and they are very intuitive, and they are wizards a lot of times, but they're not perfectly so. What they're good at, what a good mom is good at, that's saying, well, that binky didn't work. Maybe we'll try the bottle. Oh, the bottle didn't work. Maybe we'll try the blanket. Oh, the blanket didn't work. Maybe, oh, this works. And the baby says, oh, from all those missed attempts, okay, wait, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. We know they're going to get it right. That's the more. Now, of course, there are other parents, you know, that um, let's say, you know, we've all, you know, like I had a borderline mother, I mean, rural personality disorder. Welcome wasn't in, in, in her repertoire. <laughs> uh, Worthy not so much? Definitely not cherished. Definitely not empowered, right? Um, more right to separate than to belong, right? It, it, it wasn't even safe to belong. There. Now, with those parents, those create what I call missing rights. Mm-hmm. Right? If we feel welcome, we have a right to exist. Right? And if we have, if we feel worthy, we have a right to reach out for our needs. If we feel unworthy, we stop reaching. out, Or we give and give and give and give and give. And we sit there. I give, 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 give. Maybe they'll notice I want like this, this, and this. But notice and mind reading don't usually add up. And then we get all resentful, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Or somebody says, you know, a lot of people this one, man, that was a pretty dangerous place. I better live on my own. I have to do it by myself. And then they wonder, and that part that feels good with distance, will choose some distancing mate, because it feels safe, but then the part that really wanted to feel love goes, what's up with this? How come I keep choosing the marble man? (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, a a couple of pieces uh, to pull out of that, you know, one is, it's interesting as a parent, um, I notice that, you know, when I'm stressed, and I have extreme privilege, you know, I have... You know there's two two parents in our household, you know uh we we don't worry about money too much um and so and we get to we don't have to work i mean we work hard, but you know we have reasonable hours, you know and so and we have support from family and you know um but even in the face of all that, I mean there's plenty of times where I can isolate where you know i'm not and this is not to say how I'm not perfect i' don't, I know I'm a really good parent, but I'm not perfect. Um, and it's just as a way to highlight, like even in that space, and it's almost like, you know, the level of stress or dysfunction that the parent faces kind of equals their ability to give these four things. And so I just noticed even for me, it's not always, um, I have to be conscious about providing these things as a parent. Um,
1: yeah, we we all do. And if your parent didn't give it, you know, just remember they gave what they were given. It took me years. I mean, growing up, I didn't have this feeling. But you know, as I look back now, I can still remember being three or four in the back of a seat, back seat of a car, and my mother. We were homeless. I had the mumps. Uh, my one-year-old sister was in the front seat, and none of her family would take her in unless that we I infect their 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 kids. I said that my mother wasn't really good with welcome or joy but what must it been like for a young mother of 25 26 to be and I remember her crying driving all night with no place to go with two sick children no no wonder she had no welcome or joy to give now when you're little, four and five, that's not flying so well.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, and not that's... a good excuse either, you know, for the no. five-year-old, right? Because the the regardless of the intent, you know, the the yeah. the impact is there.
1: But as an adult, I can look back, and you know, I can drop that grievance, so yeah. to speak. So you know, these feelings, all parents give what they have. Some of them were just far less. It doesn't excuse them if they're being abusive or anything like that. But it gives us a little bit of, so that we don't have a whole degrees. But these feelings, these four feelings are a natural GPS for life. And the, the beauty of this new theory of attachment that I've discovered, and I tell them about in my book, is that we can use it to, to know where we're at in a relationship. All you have to do if you're a couple, is to, or a single, and you're dating somebody five or six dates, ask scale of one to 10 how welcome with joy do I feel? Hmm. One to 10, how worthy to reach out my needs do I feel? One to 10, how cherished and protected? In other words, you're in a supportive we. And or one to 10, how empowered with choice. If you're single and you've gone on five or six dates, anything less than a seven or an eight is, is really, that's an indicator. This isn't the best person for you. If you're a couple, this is why you're having the argument. <laughs> this is why there's the distancing move. Or and it tells you that what you've got to work on. There are certain skills that each that good couples give that give these feelings. So it's a good. It, it's a, It's like GPS. It locates your relationship. Is it secure? Is it more anxious? Is it avoidant? And it. It's and sometimes I just use it as a diagnostic. You know, I I often ask new couples those two questions. And I have a pretty good idea where I'm going to have to go with them to, to help fix their relationship.
0: Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting, um, you know, to, to think about, um, you know, how that applies, like, in my relationship and seeing our relationship grow. Because you made this point that kind of, you know, what you were given, you know, so if you weren't given these things that then you sort of, in my words, you sort of tolerate that in your partner. Or you're attracted to that kind of partner because you're like, oh, this is what a relationship looks like. It's almost what you know of love. Yes. Um, what I think is really interesting, I mean, thank, thankful, very thankful for myself that, um, you know, my wife and I were married. Uh, it'll be 10 years in February. And um, most definitely we have had, we we're different people than when we met 12 years ago. And it's really, luckily, we've chosen to grow together. But the person, you know, is so interesting. I remember this in our relationship when I, when we got married or somewhere around in there, um, she was doing a travel job where she would be gone, you know, four, six, four to six weeks at a time. And I was so tuned out from myself. I didn't realize like every time she would leave, I I would, I'd felt abandoned. And I kind of, I mean, it wasn't like she was abandoning me. It was her job, but, but i felt abandoned because i was all alone this was my person right mm-hmm. and i could see now that oh i was i was i had a lot of comfort zone with that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and that probably brought us together cuz she liked to be independent as well she kind of grew up that way too yeah um but what i notice is having you know gone through coaching and through therapy and both together and separately you know it really helped me to also be worthy of saying um, I need you to not leave. Like, I need you to not do that. That actually hurts. It's it's hard for me. I don't want to live life where we're apart like that. Um,
1: I talk about that's uh, that's what I call when you feel cherished and protected, it gives you a right to separate and belong. It's a funny little right that we have to have. That's at the center of every couple I've ever worked. With. It's the right to have a week if at some point. Distance or being a me got value more than being part of the we, then that's what we'll create. But it's a Goldilocks zone. It's meant to be you go out, you play, and you come, you work, and you come back to the home port of somebody's arms. It's first born when a toddler goes out, goes out and plays. They don't want you coming and saying, Oh, no, don't play with the truck, play with the doll, if you're, you know, or whatever it is, right? No, not that truck, play the other truck, right? They don't want you doing that but you know that you can come you can go out do your thing and come back where somebody in where somebody gets to be the higher you know the safety net under the higher wire act of your life if there's a balance it's me we it's a breathing thing and if we get too much of one or the other it doesn't we can feel either enmeshed if there's too much belonging right if you never got a chance to go out and be me Or if someone's leaving and for whatever reason, then we don't feel like we have that we, And then we feel like anxious or sad. Um, It is an active process of creating. And the way life is with all modern couples, you have to watch this like a hawk because, you know, elder care can take you away, away children. You know, the big new six-month project at work, you know, something, you know, the barn burns down at the farm, (laughs) you know, and you've got that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so interesting too. I mean, and I'd love to kind of, uh, I'm glad that we're diving right in. You know, it's interesting in that moment where I was, you know, going to my wife and being like, Hey, I need you to not travel anymore. And I think this is true probably for a lot of, a lot of the people that I meet that had this experience of an absent father, um, they seem they're fiercely supportive in a healthy way um, and somewhat codependent in an unhealthy way. And so I was really stuck with, um, you know, navigating that with my wife, like being vulnerable enough to say, you know, I want to support you in your work. And, um, it would really be important to me in our life and our relationship. If we were not apart so often. Uh, yeah.
1: Need to belong. When you have an absent father, there is no, you know, we're supposed to be getting these feelings from two kids because, you know, Parenting, as any single mother, mother knows, is a load. It's a lot to have, especially if you have multiple children. You know, children are needy creatures to begin with, you know, and that's just the way we all are as humans. So if you've only got half of you know the battery pack <laughs> of secure things, there's a missing – there's no welcome. He's not there. <laughs> there's no worthy. He's not there to meet your needs. There's no church. There's not going to be a we when there's a – When there's a Zolnere zero sum game going on there, right? And they're certainly not in power. So, by nature, all of these feelings will get kind of hit, right? And uh, I mean, for me, um, uh, I I didn't. I was so uh, growing up noticing all the wattage coming from a borderline mother, where you had to duck. Right. That it never dawned on me until much later in life that there was this hole. <laughs> there wasn't a fire breathing dragging. It it was just a big frigging empty hole in my soul where that father never was. So and we, you know, we often don't notice the hole until we fall into it. <laughs> Yeah.
0: So you have a pretty, I mean, we got to talk before and you have a pretty unique story. I mean, aside from just your brilliance on attachment theory, and I think there's so much to learn here, but, um, uh, you have a pretty interesting absent father story yourself. Uh, if you wouldn't mind kind of sharing your experience, you alluded to it a little bit, but what, what's yeah. your absent father story?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. Um, <coughs> I was, uh 15. I never had a father, uh, Image in each of my entire life, I was always told that a uh, guy whose last name was Salyer was my father. On the, And that's what I said on the birth certificate, right? But what I found out, but then when I was 15, we were my mom and my, uh, and her husband were in a, um, a parking lot. We'd just eaten. And my mom was in one of those days where she was in a good mood and laughing and fun all day. It was one of those rare days when the whole day was going good. And within seconds, I see her t- change to eight shades of red and get mad and start cussing. I'm going, what's up? And Bill, her husband, says, Oh, that's your father over there across. He just she just got upset because he saw. It. And when I looked at this man, who was about six, four, really gruff-looking guy, I don't know what it was, Rodney. I looked him in the eyes and he looked me straight. And he didn't look at her, he looked at me. And I knew the moment I laid eyes on it, this was not my father. I can't tell you why. I just know it was a soul level, no frigging way. This is a lie. <laughs> so, being a smart kid. I started asking questions when nobody was looking. <laughs> and I eventually found, figured it out that there was a friend of the family. And this launch that was there and I figured out some things. And what I found out by the time I was 17, was that um I was the product of the other man and her uh first marriage. And that sort of explained the look from this guy. <laughs> okay, got it. By 17 I could understand. Okay, that that actually makes sense,
0: right? Got it. So so let me get this right. So so your 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 mother was um first marriage. Hmm? Um and did they have a child also?
1: No, they did okay. not. Okay
0: got it so you so they're married um and then you were born mm-hmm. uh later to find out as as uh, an affair mm-hmm. and um, meanwhile growing up until the age of 17 you thought that this this man who she was married to originally was your father but he was not around in your life as well no
1: no i think they did, they divorced early because he was physically abusive you know Save. and the other part of the story is That when uh, uh, my Aunt Evelyn told me this when I was about 15 was that when I was first born, I wasn't actually named for three weeks. My mother was hoping for a girl. I was dressed in pink for the first six months. She had bought so many clothes and she was so disappointed that she didn't have a girl. That she refused to name me. and it wasn't. And three weeks later, the state of Ohio sent two state troopers to the house and said, "Ma'am, it, here's a form. You have to name your child." And when she refused, um, the state super said, "Well, ma'am, you don't have to sign in here. We can take you to some place that you'll have all the time in the world to think about." <laughs> and that was when my aunt Evelyn said, "Name me after your two favorite actors: Gary Cooper,
0: Dean Martin." <laughs> so there you are, Gary Dean Salyer.
1: Yeah, the Gary gotcha. Dean. Gotcha. But there's not a lot of welcome to put joy there. Yeah. And I'm assuming that whatever period of time I might have been in that household, uh, given the look I got from her, her first son, I don't think there was a lot of welcome there either. <laughs> and, of course, there was a the guy being totally absent, right? Yeah. Who I did speak with uh, at 17 and then a few times in my 30s. Just
0: to- So at 17, you... You found out that the man you thought was your father wasn't your father, and then At you found 15, out. I
1: knew, and it, ah. and it took me two years to piece it together.
0: Got it, got it. And, and then you so found I, out your I, father was actually uh, someone else who you were able to meet
1: a friend of the family that uh, had actually visited the farm hmm. a couple of times, and I was going through, and just one day I was thinking as I came, I man, who could this possibly be? And like Sherlock, I'm going to say, I'll bet it's a local character. (laughs) And I asked certain questions when people. And then I thought there was that one guy that would visit every now and then. And I couldn't. And I remember being a little kid going, why is he always looking at me? And I put two and two together. And when I was my senior in high school, I, I cornered my Uncle Tom. And Uncle Tom had kept me for three to four weeks at a time. When I was a kid, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, for a month. And I st- and I got to be a farmer every summer for three or four weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. And I got to learn about animals. I got actually I, I found out what it was like to get up at four in the morning, but <laughs> to feed animals. But that was a whole different story, right? And I just simply asked them, I said, so uh so I said to them, This guy, how's this guy doing? Right. And uh they said, "What is this guy to you?" And that was when I said, "Well, he's my father, right?" And I and I w- and I was pretty sure. And um, at that point, you know, Uncle Tom Carl started a lie, <laughs> but Uncle Tom said, um, "I don't know how you figured out you're always smart," and it was confirmed. And I talked to him for half an hour. My mother got upset. And then, when I was 35, I had a few more conversations, and that was when I found out that they had been. They had been high school sweethearts. It had been a seven-year relationship, and uh, so I wasn't exactly fly by night, right? Um, But um, and then I found some things that you know uh, made me aware that, uh, given his his background, and some of the ways that uh, he uh, actually uh, wasn't as kind to women, I realized at some point in time in my late thirties. I'm not sure I didn't get the best deal here. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. which was in a, which was almost uh salvific <laughs> in and of itself. Kind of, you know, I'm not sure that I, I got the worst deal out of this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah often
0: similarly, um, you know, knowing, you know, always pining for a father, of course, as you would, but, but then understanding where they were and kind of, you know, how they were, but also likely the pain that they experienced that influenced how they were. It's like, oh, it's actually, you know, in some ways, like, you know, you'd rather um, have the toxic part not present than having to be with it. You know, I always think about how it would have been if I had been exposed to such um, toxicity firsthand.
1: Yeah, and and that toxicity has some long-range effects, you know. Uh, and this is not a pity party, but just because of all those uh, issues, you know, I mean, I grew up to be the first person in seven generations to graduate high school. You know, to get a PhD, but neither parent um, owned owned me up on an obituary. In fact, uh, nobody in uh, nobody in my biological father's knows that uh, that he had a son, hmm. and. You know, it creates some interesting things about what what is welcome with joy, right? And the biggest thing for me was when you work through that sort of toxic pain, and that's pretty pretty toxic. I can't say what I read those obituaries; it was a fun moment. There was a kind of a what the
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. I even, mean, the white... even in their death, not being able yeah. to own.
1: Yeah, but what I have found out, you know, but when you reclaim what I call a right to exist. You know, I have a right to exist in and of myself because, you know, I choose to be loved. I choose to have an, a, a dynamic impact on the world. I have a right to exist, and those two can't take it from me. They can, they can't even grant it to me because life grants it. It is not your parents that gives you a right to life; life grants it. And when the moment you step into how much bigger life is. Than any relative that could have given you toxic pain, and you realize the profound indebtedness you are to life, and life gives you these rights I talk about. Once, if you get that down in your soul and you get it into your body, there's nothing that can stop you.
0: Yeah. So, so, so perfect, you know, and I, I really, um, you know, for those listening that, you know, maybe aren't at that space yet where they have. Uh, forgiveness um and acceptance and choice really like you know i i don't know about you but i can see that the your genius and your empathy and your 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 sense of empathy um likely was really honed by this vacuum of uh love that you didn't get and and presence that 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 all all beings deserve um so,
1: every soul that comes for a purpose creates contrast, yeah. <laughs> and I I value that because without all that experience, I would not be asking the question. And to be honest with you, Rodney, you know when I'm reading academic stuff and I'm doing the research as well as I add my practical life and what I do with my clients. Uh, all of that experience gave me a, a real gut level feeling for when I'm reading something, beautiful bibliography and footnotes, but this ain't changing junk. Mm. And when I can see this is right. I, I have a nose for when research is just research and when it is truly something good. And, and there's a lot of research out there that you know, $5 on whatever that article did might get you something at Starbucks. Right. <laughs> But I know the one that but then there's research that you go, yes, this guy's on track.
0: Yeah, and I think is. I think it's so cool because, you know, and, and your story kind of really perfectly demonstrates that. It's like even though you know that likely, you know, your mother and father could never have given you what you needed, mm-hmm. um, it's still hard to move through that. And uh, that's why I really appreciate your work. Um, you know, and and giving us kind of a pathway through. To true forgiveness and to true acceptance and choice, and I just I guess I want to say for all the listeners you know um uh, as I think we'll learn you know dr seller didn't he didn't just like flip a switch and was like oh i'm forgiven them it's a process and a journey um and i think i'd I'd love to hear you know just as we close up this part like um you know how do you think that how do you think it impacted you kind of the way that you were raised your relationship to your parents um and yeah, what happened from there? We're kind of up to eight eighteen.
1: Well, you know, when I got to eighteen and I was the first one accepted to college, I made it up. I said, I am not going to repeat that family pain, everybody being divorced. Because at seven, I just looked at the entire family and go, Why are these people so mean to each other? Why can't adults just love? That question was there from seven. Mm-hmm. You know, looking out at the world, notice that my aunts, you know. Took up drinking because it was better to drink with and get drunk with their husbands than to be left alone night after night. I put that together at seven, mm-hmm. right? um Now, and so I went to college and I and I had a double major. Now I gonna really get two majors: psychology and religion. I'm going to knock this thing out. I was never going to have that. Mm-hmm. And then I get this this exam. I mean, this personality test by my favorite psychology professor at at my senior year. And, he, and after he gives me, I'm a whole results. I'm walking out the door of his office. Says, "Oh, by the way, you have a 90 percent chance of having a divorce." Oh my god! So I do a fifth year of college, get another degree in marriage and family, and then, and then what? Ten years later, a divorce is knocking on my door. I, I was floored. Do seven, eight years of therapy, all this stuff. I'm ready. Four years I get remarried, four years later, a second divorce. And and then when I noticed that I had the pattern, it was it was me. After one particularly bad breakup with a woman I deeply loved, I was shaving one morning and I said, Son, there's only one common denominator here. (laughs) And it's you. And when I looked at all that work, all those degrees, all that therapy, some part of my soul said, if they can't crack the code i will and it became two divorces and all that was predictable i mean my god what the professor told me came true doubly so and yet it became my i said then i and i just looked at i would have been a graduate professor and i said you're a smart man Sal, you're, Figure figured out yourself right now that's what i was always doing as a child <laughs> figuring it out myself but in this case it served me and it became my life's passion and I started and I totally changed fields and I really, and I started working one-on-one and I threw myself into attachment theory, something and some other things. Um, And eventually I figured it out because it became my passion. So yeah, it had that, but it also was nobody should have to work this hard to have the love to overcome that. Right. And, um, it was just my, but I realized now. my soul came to answer this question, so I needed that experience to create the need in me that I would answer it, and I feel like uh, all of that is now a gift. On the other side of it, Now, it wasn't easy working it through. There was a lot of pain, but you know, I'm hoping that with the work I'm doing, it fast tracks people so they don't have to. Take, they don't have to be 50 and asking that question.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, You know, when you think about, you know, I I mean, especially for you, right? Like you, you studied psychology and religion and then studied, you know, marriage and family. Right. Um, And, you know, I imagine did plenty of other development work along the way and practicing. And um, even with all of that knowledge, you know, you still had the impacts of, of that, even with maybe the awareness or the knowledge about it. So, like, I know this is a really hard question to ask, but we'll see what comes up. Like when you think about what made the difference, like you really coming to a place of acceptance, like, and I know there's, you know, I had intellectual acceptance of having an absent father or my upbringing when I was like 18, I was like, yeah, I'm over that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but but true acceptance um, and joy I mean it seems like there's a joy about your life and who you are and how you get to lead it authentically so like how 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 does that happen what do you what do you think made the biggest difference there
1: well there's two there's two there's two levels of this one is that you know when you don't have a right to exist and you're not welcome with joy you tend to go to get into your head you flee from the world and it's pain to float above it You'll float above it either intellectually or spiritually, right? (laughs) You know, and I did both. (laughs) You could have predicted. I did that.
0: What does it look like when someone does that intellectually or spiritually? I think I know what you're talking about, but I'd love to hear. What does it look like in practice?
1: Intellectually is where, well, don't, I don't want to talk about feelings. It's logic will save everything. I remember once I had a guy that was at one of my workshops and he was a top level physicist to help create nuclear bombs. And he said to me, I don't believe in all these emotions, right? (laughs) And he says, logic will solve everything. And that's what it looks like, right? Of course, I pointed out to him that without the right brain that does uh, feelings as well as big pictures, he'd have all facts and no theory in physics. Mm -hmm. I said, so you may lack that right brain by the time you're done here, right?
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. It reminds me, and I think this is what you're talking about. I remember uh, a mentor asked me one time, um, you know what is uh what how do you express anger uh It was the question it was in a kind of a coaching and leadership development program and uh my answer was well, you know anger you know there's actually usually sadness underneath anger, and so you know I kind of try to look at what is the sadness there and then I try to like read a book you know to kind of walk me through that <laughs> and i, I don 't know if there's anybody listening to this that for who that sounds like a reasonable answer but now looking back i was like oh my god i had zero like i completely intellectualized every single emotion um so i wouldn't have to feel it
1: yes and spirituality i mean you know it's like i've had women come up and say you know i've got this great guy and he and, and, you know he's and he's he, you know he does He meditates and he does all this. But every time we start to get close, he goes and spends three months in an ashram. That's because it's easier to love God the angels than it is a flesh and blood woman who might just want something from him, right? (laughs) That's what that looks like. We call that a spiritual bypass. And that's one aspect. But there was another one when, um, you know, you drop, there's there's another part, is where you drop the grievance. We get this grievance. I had this horrible mother. I had this absent father. And I can there's another part. There's actually three parts. So there's this one realize that the intellectual is just an escape valve, right? It's and it's and that was why I had two divorces. I kept getting in my head. The very thing that saved me early on was the very thing that that wasn't going to work. Doing more research wasn't it. I needed to Feel these feelings not do more research my answer was to do more of the same thing that protected me years ago but wasn't going to create love now so i got oh more, well, of course i thought about more more degrees would save the save the day but that's not because it's about feeling feelings right then you know uh, or the the funny story is i remember once i read a whole bunch of books to understand my first wife. She said she didn't feel loved and understood. And I read books and books and books. And when I get things right, I said, but the books said, but the books said, but the books said, you could expect this, this being a And then one day she goes, Gary, read me, not the damn books. Mm-hmm. That's being in your head. Yeah. So learning that we are all whole is one of the answers. We have to be in our feelings and they're just a legitimate part of us, same as everything else. God didn't give us a left and a right brain for no good reason or evolution or whatever you want to say. We have two brains. that They're both distinct. But they give us logic. They give us feelings. We need them both. It, it's And then there's just dropping the grievance. And the grievance is, you know, how they did me wrong back there. And I can still remember someone asking me to forgive my mother once. And I said, you mean you want me to let her off the hook? And I will never forget the guy's response. He said, no. I want you to lay your life off the of. hook. So when you drop that charge, because they did the best they could. And the, the third thing that's, that really, that masterfully freed my soul was when I stepped into that a higher self, a soul, however you consider it, I don't care, uh, you know, whether it's metaphysical or just yourself and your best day, that some part of me chose to learn certain lessons so I could do certain work. And that all of that served me, that some part of my soul chose that. When I and so I could learn to do what I'm doing now. And when I stepped into that, there was no more victim. It wasn't woe as me. It was, and I began to be able to mine all that pain for all the strength and all the purpose and all the vision. And uh, it made me a deeper person. Once I I did those three things, stepped into my feelings, dropped the grievances and stepped into the higher purpose of that, um, it, was, it was like being set free from a cage.
0: I think that's really, really powerful. Um, and I, I just want to highlight a couple of those things because, you know, in my, in my conversations with people who grew up with an absent, just father, or people who have kind of found, you know, an authentic sense of power and joy um, I do think that in, and, and in my own experience, I think that it really follows a bit of this process. You know, I, I love what you said about, um, there's sort of this, uh, realization that you wouldn't get to be who you are in your gifts and your greatness without this experience. So there's sort of a, a sense of, um, choice about life that, yeah, that, that really sucked. <laughs> Uh, and I wouldn't want to go through that again. I might not choose it in the next life, but in this one for what I'm here for, um, like I, for me, I could not trade my life. I mean, it's like, I, I could not be me having this conversation with you without that exact experience and the exact way that it came forward.
1: That's right. And all the people that are who are listening would not have this experience if you and I didn't have an absent father, yeah. you know, it takes that, um, I tell clients, sometimes when I'm dealing with this, I call it higher self-work. You don't do it at first, but not for all clients, but sometimes it's necessary. So you can get in rapport with your incarnation (laughs) or your life. So you're not judging yourself. Oh my God, I was such a screw up. Or I can't believe how evil the world is. I mean, it's a way of learning it and seeing purpose in it. I mean, I think of it, I I created this little parable of of the little angel. And there was once this little angel. Um, She was only a few million years old, so kind of young. And and she just loved the light. Oh, every star set, I mean, every sunset, every star she wanted to see. And one day she hears that you can learn a lot from a human incarnation. So she walks up to the head angel and says, I hear you can learn a lot if you're incarnated as a human being. She goes, oh, that's absolutely the truth. And she goes, well, I want to be, I want to be a human. Can you do that? Can you do that? You know, she goes, I want to learn about the light. Just let me learn all about the light. And the head angel says, sure, we can do that. So the head angel says, I'll set it all up. The next day, she pops into a human incarnation. And for the next 80 years, there's gloom and doom and sadness and depression, right? And when she pops out after 80 years, this angel is haunted. She is pissed. And she storms the Bastille, walks into the head angel's office. She goes, what were you thinking? You gave me darkness and gloom and depression. I asked to learn about the light and all you gave me was darkness. What were you thinking? And the head angel wisely looks at her and says, little one, don't you know that to understand anything you have to understand, it's opposite. Even in the dictionary, it gives you the antonym to give you the meaning. Says, if you had asked about wealth I would have had to have given you poverty. If you'd asked about health, I would have had to have given you disease. We can only understand something from its opposite. So remember when you were 20 and in college, you were stuck in a snow blizzard and all you could see is the light. And then you became snow blind. I gave you that early on so you could see if all you can see is the light, you can see nothing at all. You have to have darkness to see. So what did the darkness teach you about the light? And, and so for all of us, I think we choose, people choose different forms of contrast. And the contrast is, if you can look at it, you get enough distance, you step out of all the pain and just look at this. Every great person who has done something has contrast there. If you start reading the biographies, there's a contrast there that created them doing their thing. For me, I had to see what unwelcomed and unworthy and not love looked like so I could talk about love. For other people, I've heard it's wealth that drove them to be financial advisors, disempowerment that led them to be CEOs. There is power in this thing called pain if we can reclaim our purpose.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's a really important point, you know, because I I know, uh, you know, just kind of listening for people who feel stuck, you know, feel really far away from that. It's like, um, I think that that is the hard work. I feel really grateful because I feel like I found, I found my purpose. I claimed my purpose. Um, And, you know, the thing that you're speaking to is really the classic superhero story. And, you know, uh, for those of you that really geek out on that stuff, you might be familiar with Joseph Campbell's work. Um, And I, I find that I don't think that's just a way of telling myths or story. I think it's actually speaking to um, what it is to step into a human's greatness. And um, in Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey or, or his book, mm-hmm. which I found a bit boring, but maybe it was because I was listening to an audiobook, but a hero with a thousand faces, um, yeah. the resonance of it is, is so important. And always there's a challenge and then uh, someone that answers the challenge and moves through that and comes back with wisdom or uh, something to provide or step into. Um, so I, I just, I love that. I did want to ask you two other questions quickly.
1: I want to say one thing real okay. quick, That's not, that's later on in work. Before that work will ever take with clients, you've got to restore the four feelings. Mm -hmm. We've got to rework, release the past pain and restore the feelings or that work. You don't do that in the first few sessions. You know, this is upper division when you're polishing it off, right? But you've got to restore the right to feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and part. That is, once you get those up, then there's enough you know freedom in the soul so to speak to look at this figure otherwise the pain is just right in front of our face and we'll never see anything else so that's not the, so if you're still in pain and you haven't done the work that's a later that's the icing on the cake yeah it's important but it's restoring these four feelings and then you get to step into what the missing feeling can empower you to do
0: i love that i love that so much and it's spot on i mean i you know with my own work and when i work with others it's about you have got to have the foundation of a relationship to your own greatness and if i put it into your words i mean it's so great to listen how do we relate to ourselves right are we welcomed with joy um do we feel we are worthy do we cherish ourselves are we empowering ourselves with choice yeah. and i think it's so excellent right because if we don't if we don't have that none of the rest is possible and i even think that you know um you know dropping the grievance it's like it really requires these things in order to get to that place um it
1: does. and grievance work too you you it's hard to touch the grievance to get a grievance to be dropped you know uh what most people would call forgiveness if you haven't worked on these feelings and you never do that either you've got to get these feelings up so there's less to be aggrieved about
0: <laughs> oh it's so good so good and and uh you know what's cool about that too is uh one of the things that i think has helped with dropping the grievance uh probably with myself which i think yeah. is related to your four areas um and definitely with my absent father or other people is empathy has always been the antidote for me um mm-hmm. and so you know for those of those of you all listening that are like you know Trying to reconcile or drop the grievance with maybe a parent or somebody in your family, you know, one of the easiest ways I could go was, you know, who were their parents and who were their parents' parents? And, you know, if I find sometimes people have, you know, parents and are like, well, they were pretty good parents, um, but they're still left with the same experience. And it's like, well, how were their parents? And then you hear the stories like, well, they were molested at a young age or, you know, they had abusive alcoholic parent or you know, their parent died when they were five, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. It always is, you know. And and when you get when you realized what a precious up until the last 30 or 40, actually last 10, 20, those that previous generation, there wasn't things, there wasn't the internet to find out about PTSD or any of this. You know, most people. You know, they were not, therapy wasn't readily existent. It wasn't a culture that promoted it. It's only been in the last 20 or 30 years that we've had the permission and the resources, you know. And it's been the research of the last 50 years that's given me a lot of the research to tell my people. We're just, everybody else got hosed. They were being human without a manual. And, you know, that's kind of what my book is. This is the manual on how to be, human is not the only man who it's a pretty good one and we it's our generation that has to point the way forward so we don't have to give to our children what we were given
0: yeah it's so good it's so good too and you know you, you say that I, I think it's just absolutely spot on and you know if we just look in the through the lens of america and american history you know um you know i think i think i have a hard time sometimes like people don't understand um you know, we think about the social justice movement right now and addressing systemic racism and, and, uh, justice issues, you know, think about, I I mean, it must be insane to think about what would, um, enduring slavery do in terms of your attachment style and how that would, um, pass from family to family or, um, in other contexts, like in, in, you know, we fought many wars in this country, you know, this, Revolutionary war and the civil war and then and more modernly which has probably touched most of us is world war one and world war two and vietnam um, and now, you know with uh, the uh, wars in the middle east Nice. Well, I wanted to um uh Kind of get to you know, what do we do with? Uh, like what do we do with this work? You know, i'm thinking about and I want to think about this from two angles as I was talking to you um So first of all, like when you think about someone who's grown up with an absent or distant father and they're noticing that they have some impacts, you know, in their relationships, either with themselves, um, which it sounds like is the place that we got to start, um, or, or in, you know, in romantic relationship. I mean, I think that, you know, that's obviously an impact. Um, what, what do you recommend? Like, how do, how do we use attachment theory to, to create, um, to create the love that we want, to create the lives that we want. Okay.
1: Well, one of the things I do argue is that these, these four feelings and these rights I talk about, they don't stay in love. They don't stay in a tiny, tidy little corner called love. I have a chapter called love is the operating system. Each of these feelings, if they're missing, will affect all other areas of our life, health, money, uh, even business. I, I began to notice that every woman client that worked with me that had a business got a better business. There have been zero exceptions in 13 years. If they didn't feel worthy, and they were in relationships with with takers, these business-wise they wouldn't charge their value, or they get freebies all the time, not an accident. Or if they if they didn't have a real right to be in a we, they you know they wouldn't have coaching, or they wouldn't have Support staff like VA support, or if they did, they'd find people that would flake on them, just like the men in their lives, mm-hmm. right? Or, or if men, uh, or if a man felt disempowered and he didn't have a voice, he couldn't ask his boss for a raise <laughs> if he's in the corporate world. So it good. always affects everything. It's restored. So the key, Ronnie, it really is simple: to restore these four feelings in the core of your body, so you. Feel welcomed, worthy, cherished, and empowered. And when you do that, you're, that right to feel worthy and to ask will go, it will affect your relationships, it will affect your job, it will affect everything.
0: What are some examples of like, you know, I, I can imagine, especially as, you know, we talked about feeling the feelings earlier, and I can imagine some of our listeners being like, feel the feelings. Although if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably feeling some feelings. Um, but still like, what are some, pr- I, I know like, you know, practical is, you know, in our work is kind of silly sometimes, but you know what, if somebody was like, okay, I get that Dr. Salyer, I want to, I want to welcome myself more. I want to, um, help myself feel worthy and cherished and empowered. Like, what are some examples of things that people might, might consider taking on
1: to, to do exactly what Rodney
0: to, um, practice, uh, restoring these feelings for ourselves
1: okay i got on you can take a long time i really do believe it's deep work it's doing some deep work because the you know i've i've had some clients that, oh, i can do this by myself and i automatically know they have the missing right to they have a split right mm-hmm. to sever and belong because that's the only type of people say they have <laughs> they have to do it by themselves right and a lot of times these people will not even see that right. They're, oh, I have a missing right to assert or I have a missing right to this. And they don't see the one that's most prominent. You you have to have work with someone who has the resources because when we don't feel them, it's hard to give them. It's hard to add resources you know, when we don't feel them. So you need to do some deep work with somebody. You really do on these four core feelings. Not a better story, not a victim story, not a label. I'm not talking about that type of work. I'm not really learning how, and it's got to be a full fledged. You feel it in your body. Um, now you can concentrate on this. You know, do I feel welcomed? Do I feel worthy? But um, you know, the real deep work is is going back and finding the exact flavor of safety. Your body yeah. was seeking. Or your mind was seeking. Right? So, That's
0: um, excellent. Sorry, I was going to say, you know, I think that's excellent. And that piece that you part about, you know, you put about um, the experience of it, Uh, you know, and having it, um, the only way I can explain it is like, I remember uh, one of the places that I found to do really deep work, uh, particularly in this area that I've talked about in podcasts a bit is um, a 12 step program called adult children of alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I often plug it. It's not, your parent doesn't have to have been an alcoholic. It's simply you know, was there a lack of presence with your mother or father? And if so, then there's an opportunity to do this work. And I think that, you know, when I think about what that program has helped me with, it's all four of these things, you know, welcoming myself, building a sense of, of worth, cherishing and empowering myself. Um, and, uh, What I think is really cool, what I just want to reflect is I think that now, I think one of the challenges, a lot of people, like they go to a therapist once and they're like, well, that didn't work. Or the therapist wasn't that great. And to which I always have to say, you know, like anything in the world, uh, you really got to find the right fit for you. And I think one of the great cues, you know, what you said is, how do you feel? Like, does it, do you feel something in your heart or, um, do you feel some emotion is almost the first part, right? Like feeling some feelings um, and something like ACA for me, finding a really great therapist was really helpful. Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, notice that you, when you reach out to ACA, you're, you're exercising <laughs> a right to separate and belong. Hmm. You've, you know, <laughs> just kind of notice that's what that is, right? Hmm. It's hanging out with more and more secure people, people that welcome, know how to welcome you and out make you feel worthy cherished and empowered right i mean that was one of the big lessons i learned as a kid was well wow, there are really people around here that don't call you an sob when you walk in the room wow isn't that cool huh, i like these people hang out with them more
0: <laughs> yeah and really and listen with um listen without giving advice and listen in a loving way yes um you know, and I, I, it's, I never thought about that before, like these four pieces that you mentioned, but it's so true. Like it's, it's really integrated into that work. It's like welcome, realizing your worth, cherishing yourself um, and empowering yourself with choice. I mean, it's really essentially that's the program.
1: <laughs> and we are fortunate. If I think, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a few people here and there who saw me before I saw myself. If you can be loved, you know, find those people, hang out with them more, right? Um, but there is also the deep work. So you want to do both. It's not just knowing that you are welcome to you have a right. It is feeling it, yeah. you know, and that takes a little work, you know, uh, it does. And none of us are ever going to be perfect at giving and receiving them. But we can use it as our yardstick, as our GPS for navigating. Uh, you know, it, you know. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine came over, and I was in the back of the house, and I thought I could hear the bell, the bell ringer. But the stupid bell ringer, uh, the 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 battery stopped working, and they were there for ten minutes. And when I I asked them to come in, I immediately said, "I am sorry, you did not feel very welcome to a toy when you came," because I knew that was the. She goes, "No, it wasn't. I didn't." right and so i track them track them in your relationships make repairs when you don't give them because none of us are perfect right and and then ask for when you don't this will revolutionize your relationships if you because these really are the four core feelings your brain out of here isn't sophisticated love doesn't have to be infinitely complex right it it is literally like giving and receiving these four feelings if you, it will and if you haven't had a father then these have not been your gps so start adding them to it and yeah. uh you know and then you you can be then you can find someone who can love you the way your father should have.
0: yeah that's really it's really powerful um I, I wanted to close with kind of a, a little bit different angle than we typically do mm-hmm. um so you know. I, I, So one of the things we've been talking about today is that, you know, when you kind of the experience that you had growing up, right, and the attachment style that you create, um, you're likely to repeat that later in life, right? Yes. Um, And I certainly have found that to be the case for me. And I'm really grateful that I've had access and uh, somehow found my way to the work and to my purpose. Um, What I'm curious about, and I've had some folks reaching out, especially for the Absent Father podcast, um, whether it's a you know, maybe maybe we start with just a single mom. Um and, you know, maybe they grew up with an absent father and, you know, they're sort of knowing what they experienced, yet they're the ones there, you know, on the front lines and trying to be everything that they can for their uh their little one. Um and uh, you know so many of them will write or email and they're just like distraught with, you know, oh my God, what do I do? Um and of course I, I say to them, you know, be a good mom, be who you are, love them. And, uh, you know, share kind of my story, which you were talking about, like, you know, that there's something in this, yes. um, but I'm curious what advice you have um, maybe for a single mom uh, that, that, you know, for their kid that has an absent father, how do they deal with that? Or...
1: Well, I know that if you, if you, you know, if a single mom, uh, I would like to take off the guilt of thinking you have to give your child everything. You know, there is something called the good enough mom. Uh, an attachment expert back in the fifties wrote an article on the good enough mom, talking about this huge mythology of the mother want to be this, 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 and it looks like something out of a Disney film. And it's and it's not about being perfect. It's it's about being good enough. Are you good enough at welcomed and worthy in cherished? So take off all the frigging guilt. You don't have to be super mom because super mom is not worthy. to Get her own needs matter How are you going to give that right and show it? You know, and you know seek support. You know, find other women friends. For hundreds and millions of years, women's raised children in communities called tribes. You've got to ask for. It. Don't try to be the mom in the nuclear family. Get some support. Give yourself some time to separate and belong. You can't be just about your kids. You've got to go replenish. You're, you know, Or your kids will figure out there's no right to be supported by a, a we. So the best thing you can do is love yourself up sometimes. And if you've got a boy, uh, you know what you can do is at one point in time, most boys are going to need some male influence. We get starved when we get about adolescence. What does a man look for? So plan ahead and find some people, some men that he can be in the uh, fray with, you know, Uh, I always monitor the the men who were my son's coaches and stuff. Once about nine, I knew I couldn't be the only male influence and I monitor is this, is this organization, is this team run by a good man or not? And if it wasn't, I wasn't going to let that any of that. So that's just for that. And, but the most part is know that if you love them, you're good enough. You're, you know, and give yourself time to love yourself so you can recharge your batteries. I mean, when I deal with single moms, those are the two. Give Realize you, know, you gave birth. You know, you have sacrificed. Uh, you know, the world is wants to give you kudos. So yeah. it's not about guilt. It's about the grace that you have given life by giving birth. In.
0: And then, and then those moms, you know, regardless of the circumstances, are the ones that are there and uh, yes. nurturing and providing and, uh, you know, there, regardless of what's happening in their life. And so I think that's a really great point. It kind of does, again, come back to like, yeah. um, even if you don't have time, like, um, you know, the best model it sounds like we could provide is modeling healthy attachment with ourselves. Um, it is.
1: It is. It's, we have to have healthy. I never tell people to love themselves. I never. do It's about <laughs> allowing yourself to feel welcome, worthy, cherished. You do that. You enable yourself that. You automatically love yourself. And you know, I can still. You know, there's a guy that wrote the front of my book, Paul Carrick Brunson, and he used to do a TV show on dating in Britain. And what he told one of them says, you know, the mom was saying, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I've given up on men, but I'm going to sacrifice so my my two daughters can find it. And what he told that woman was, you know, the best way to teach your daughters how oh, to be in a good relationship, you go find one yourself. So you, if you sh- give yourself these feelings as you are giving them to your children, it has to be the right to have your needs, right, is to give and receive, not just one way, <laughs> then they will automatically be empowered. Because you know moms are are uh, very influential people, and the single moms I've worked with over the years, I have tremendous respect for you know um but give yourself a little grace and allow yourself to get your own needs met
0: That's so good, you know, and I, I, the the follow on that I think I have the same answer to, which is so deep and simple. um you know, I was thinking about also like you know when you have two moms or you have two dads um, you know, how do they fill that? What could be a gap? Um, you know, certainly when I've worked with people who had two moms there, there's, there's a sense of not having a father present. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can almost hear you already saying, which will be cool. I hope for everybody in the podcast that's listening, you know, from now on, when you're faced with that question, you can go back to, Oh, you know, am I, um, for myself, feeling welcomed and worthy, and cherished, and empowered with choice, uh, it,
1: it, it takes a tribe to create secure attachment. I want to say, for millions of years, we were raised not by a single mom in a single hut, but by a whole tribe. It's called allo-parenting. So this idea that one parent can give, you know, if say to to say to a lesbian couple has a, a boy who's heterosexual as a son, right, you know you know you need to be able to bring in the right to separate and to have the community be able to do it i mean if i say i had a daughter how in the world am i going to have a legitimate conversation she gets 12 or 13 about her first about her first period i'm going to have to bring in a a a secure woman to talk to her because i don't have a stitch of experience with that (laughs) right you know and so it would be wise to realize that our right to belong extends to parenting as well, in bringing the resources. Mm-hmm. None of us have it all. This is the right to be a me, in a we, a bigger we, an empowering we. Create the community you need to raise your children, because that's how. Because we're needy we're little creatures, you know. And for millions of years, the recipe was many resources funding the mother and father and, and the child. And we still need
0: that. Yeah. I think that's so good. It's such a good note to leave us on because I think people who grow up with an absent or distant father is one of the main things that we we recognize is that um, I think to your point about, uh, you know, we, we're so uh, averse to being dependent or asking for help. And so I just love the idea because really I think that that causes most of the turmoil that I experience from growing up with an absent or distant father is like, you know, constricted to being alone or self, uh, reliant. Um, and so I just hear like, you know, as I, um, interrupt that pattern for myself, uh, as I learn to teach my daughter by the way I treat myself, Mm -hmm. um, that I'm providing the things that, um, you know, wouldn't be there if, if she was missing a parent or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, we we need resources to be resources. You know? Awesome. And it's okay to reach out for it. And there's a whole uh, culture of undeserving. So many things that say we're not enough, when we don't deserve But the news is you were born deserving. Of all these resources, to be you're the best parent to overcome whatever missing wound it is. And um, that's your birthright. You don't, to, you don't have to be good enough to be good enough. You were born worthy.
0: Well, that is as good a place as we could leave. And uh, I want to thank you, uh, Dr. Cellular. And uh, if you're interested, at least in taking one step, it sounds like, you know, one of the first things you could do is pick up the book, Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve. That mm-hmm. is pretty awesome. Any any final notes or thoughts that you have for us?
1: Well, you know, thank you all for listening in. It's an honor. And I have plenty of videos. <laughs> Uh, on the site and there's even a you know if you want to you know there's a whole video series on how for singles and couples called uh, love inspiration if you just sign up but there's a ton of resources at garysalier.com. you can even sign up for about 65 two to four minute videos that one couple in Oregon had saved they were in their 50s and they said that video series saved their engagement so you know that can be my gift to you um, and then you can listen to little snippets and i just want to say Rodney, thank you uh, beautiful soulful uh, wonderful uh, very sensitive and uh, this has been a, an extraordinary conversation you have a beautiful soul my friend. thank you
0: awesome thank you thank you very much alright you've been listening to another episode of Absent Father Podcast I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Gary Sellier, and we will see you next time Head up Heart higher